Professional wrestling, like real life, is full of surprises. Hi everyone, it's Freddie Prinze Jr. And it's no surprise I can talk wrestling all day, any day. Kind of like how State Farm agents can talk insurance and help you choose the right coverage. When it comes to important insurance decisions, let State Farm support you with the coverage you need backed with 24-7 support. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Bring along the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies to add a sprinkle of joy to your workday. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Locatora Radio. A radiophonic novella, Locatora Radio, hosted by Mala Munoz and Diosa Fem. Hola, hola, locamores. Welcome to season six of Locatora Radio por Casteras Next Door. Locatora Radio is a radiophonic novella, which is just a very extra way of saying a podcast. podcast. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. Welcome back to Locatora Radio Locamores. Today we will be in conversation with the one and only Gali Fajardo Anstein. She is the nationally best-selling author of her latest novel, which we will be discussing today, Woman of Light, and the widely acclaimed short story collection Sabrina and Corina. You might remember her from a past episode of Locatora Radio, so I'm going to link that in the show notes. Tune in to that first if you haven't already. It's really going to help round out the conversation for today's episode. We're super excited to welcome her back. We will also be reading 
Woman of Light for Locas por Libros, a book club by Locatora Productions. You can join us on Patreon.com by subscribing, becoming a member at Patreon.com slash Locatora-Productions. And you can join in on the conversation there, read along with us. Now let's get into today's interview. Podcasteras Peligrosas. It has been years since we last sat down for our first interview on Locatora Radio. I remember it like it was yesterday. Pre-pandemic, we were still recording at Espacio 1839. You were visiting Boyle Heights because Yosimar had invited you out uh, to do a reading of your first book, uh, Sabrina and Corina. And now it's 2022, you have your first novel out. So we're gonna get into the journey from then until now. Thank you so much for stopping by once again. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. That, that visit to Boyle Heights, to the studio with you both in Espacio, that was such a highlight of my debut year with Sabrina and Corina. And so, yes, I also remember it like it was yesterday, and I feel like I'm sitting there with you both again today. Yes. So let's get into just a general, like, how are you? It's been such a long time. So many changes, pandemic, work, moving, like, let's talk about all of it. How are you doing today? Today, I'm okay. Um, I, I'm getting really sort of I'm accepting the fact that I have a novel coming out and it appears to me that a lot of people are already reading this book. And I think that's because of what happened with Sabrina and Karina and what happened, I mean, all the amazing, fabulous things and how it found so many readers across the world. Uh, but this is really different. And so every day I sort of wake up and I have to feel a little bit more grounded because it's like, if I open my email right away, there's a lot of things that need my attention. Um, and because of the pandemic, I've just sort of been in a lot of different spaces, both where I've lived because I didn't have stable housing at the beginning of the pandemic. Denver, the housing market is just totally unlivable in some ways. So I've been sort of flung around all over throughout these past few years since I last talked to you. Um, but yeah, like today I'm feeling extremely hopeful and excited because I got this book coming out and it's, it's here and it's beautiful and I'm so excited for it to be in the world. I mean, when Sabrina and Corina came out, I remember like it was yesterday because this was before for me pre-book club, but still like a love, a lover of books, a reader. And I remember that book just literally like circulating online, like constantly. And that's what led me to inviting you to join us the first time. Now, like you have a dedicated following of readers. Um, you even had a 
two uh, are were they podcasters or two two folks write you a love letter a love letter to yes. Fali Fajardo Anstein so you have like a real dedicated fan base and we love that for you you know it's so important to support the people and the work that we love and so to see you get that support from everyone is amazing so much has changed since you were last on Locatora Radio how has the um release the upcoming release of Woman of Light differed from Sabrina and Corina's release yeah so it's been it's been a lot different it's been a lot <laughs> it's been a very different release and if I'm going to be frank and I I want to share this with listeners because I want listeners to know I have support now from the publisher in a way that I did not have before. And I think this is important for all Latina and Latinx um, creators to know about um, because now I see how different it can be. Um, So from the very beginning of this book being turned in, there was a lot of excitement at the publishing house. I'm so grateful I'm with my my same editor for Sabrina and Karina, Nicole Counts. She's an incredible person. But I've been put in front of a lot of booksellers. I've done a lot of events, um, just small things here and there, but all of that really adds up. And you can really feel when you have sort of institutional support backing you. And it's something I wanna share because I want other people to know we can strive to get that. And when we have it, I, I think it's important to make the best of it because I do know what it was like when it was just me, like emailing people and being like, please, please pay attention to my book. Um, so it's been it's been wonderful that way, but it also comes with a new readership, and that new readership maybe is not as familiar with my themes or the kinds of characters I write about, or even the history of the people that I come from in any way, shape, or form. So it does come with challenges, but that's part of why I'm making work. I want this to be expanded. I want it to be out there in the world, and I want people to see us. And I seem to remember that for Sabrina and Corina, you were essentially organizing your own book tour and getting, carrying your box of books around the country um, to, to read and to get it out there. And I mean, what does, what does the, the support of like a publisher now mean for your ability to travel and really get the work out there because I know it's it's way different like we have been indie since the beginning just like you've been indie you know and we're trying to get to that next place too of having that institutional support and um I'm so curious about like the in-person events and and uh this the book signings and things like that and if even maybe you like miss it a little bit, like (laughs) the origins, you know, the beginning and just that hustle and just, yeah, especially with the in-person and the touring stuff. Oh my gosh, Mala, they'll never take the hustler out of me. So I am still like, I'll be like, do you guys want to take care of this? I'm still like trying to email and set up my own gigs or like, what are you doing? Um, Okay. So because of the pandemic, the publishing houses learned that we don't need to be in person as much. So a lot of it still will take place. I don't know about digitally, but they'll be very selective um, where I'm sent. And it won't be back in like the nineties and eighties, people were going on these massive book tours and being flown all over the country. That model really doesn't work anymore. And I think it's because we have social media. So a lot of this is about strategically placing me in front of markets. Another thing that's changed since we last spoke is that I'm represented by a speaking agent now. 
And so if a university wants to book me or something, it's no longer just me behind the computer pretending to be an assistant and, and pretending to book my gigs. It's now sent over to an agent who um, can either kick it back to me or they'll work on it themselves. Um, so a lot of it has changed, but I've gone, I've gone through this sort of phase of recognizing that I am now a business. And back when it was just Sabrina and Karina and me trying to get anybody in the world to listen to me, please, this little library in this little town, I'll never forget. I did a reading in a mountain town in Colorado and it was only me and two librarians that showed up and I just sat and talked to them, <laughs> but they're still fans to this day. Um, so I guess what I'm learning is that this is a lot of work by itself and you can't really complain about this kind of work. You can't complain that you had to get up early and get dressed for a photo shoot and then switch over to another interview. You can't complain that you're getting weird reviews because the fact is people are paying attention to you. So it comes with learning a new skill set, but I think that hustle mentality, that allows us to be better at our jobs when we do get to this level. Because if I don't, if you're not used to chasing and constantly um, putting yourself out there like that, this could be a little uncomfortable and right now I feel like I have pretty good boundaries and when something is uncomfortable, I just say, I'm gonna let my publicist or my team handle that. And before I probably would have just walked away and like, been like, I don't wanna talk to you. <laughs> but now I have like people. Amazing, amazing. And you know, I wanna remind folks um, that are listening or maybe becoming familiar with your work for the first time through this second interview is that since we spoke, Sabrina and Corina was a National Book Award finalist in 2019, was a 2020 winner of an American Book Award, and in 2021 was the award winner from the American Academy of Arts and Letters. Want to sing you your praises and your accolades on the interview because um, it's important to for folks to know like all the work and the journey that you've been on. And you're also now an endowed chair in creative writing at Texas State and a ton of million other accolades, which you so deserve, right? So what has that experience been like going from, like Mala mentioned, indie, hustling, to now, you know, teaching creative writing at a university? Well, I haven't gotten there yet. I'm moving there in August and I'll just be there until December. Um, I. I really struggled as a student. So I'm really open with the fact that I dropped out of high school. I have a GED. Um, I dropped out of my first master's program as well. It was really isolating and hard for me. Um, and so I've always wanted to be an educator and I have, I've taught before. I've worked as a college instructor and I've worked, I taught high school dropouts and I'm really passionate about helping other people learn because I felt like I was a non-traditional learner. And instead of teachers trying to find creative ways to help me, I was punished with bad grades. So all throughout like K through 12, I'm getting D's and F's and maybe a C once in a while if I was lucky. Um, I don't know if these are the kinds of students that I'll be working with in a graduate program. Maybe, you know, you never know. Um, but I, I think it's really important that we do think about in education, who is in these positions of power. Um, I'm coming from this background that maybe is not very common in academia. I guarantee that many of my colleagues will not have a, a GED. Um, and so I'm gonna be very open about that while I'm there. And I'm also gonna remind people 
that you shouldn't judge somebody based on their previous education experiences. Um, I'm just really excited for this opportunity to be able to be teaching at this level. But it also, I mean, it felt really good when they, they offered me this job. Like, I thought they were calling about something else. I had never even dreamed that this was possible. And I was like joking with somebody because if you Google me, um, that right by each other, side by side, there's an article that says high school dropout publishes novel. And then there's an article that says Kali Fajardo Anstein named endowed chair of Texas State University's creative writing program. And so this is really important to take up space in that way and to see that we can have educational diversity in these positions. That's a flex. If, if nothing else, that is a flex. And it really exciting to see and just to see you and your talent and your work and your hustle in action and to be rewarded in these ways um, in an academic space. It's very cool. And just kind of knowing like our listenership and our followers and likely a good segment of your readers, there are so many Latinas in particular who have had non-traditional educational and work experiences. And I think that that's part of why so many folks have gravitated towards your writing. It's also your, your story and who you are as an author. So I just want to shout you out for that. And because you have this uh, more unique kind of um, trajectory, how has that maybe impacted your writing process? How has that influenced your writing process, um, especially now in putting together this novel? Yes. Okay. So this is the hardest thing I've ever done is write a novel. Uh, writing short stories was hard for me, but I could do it maybe in a month or two and then revise. It would take a long time to revise, but you can't write a whole novel in a month and especially this novel. So Woman of Light, it is essentially in, inspired by my ancestors that came north from Southern Colorado in the 1920s and 30s. And there's never been a novel that's addressed our history or this sort of migration pattern before. So I really had to do extensive research for this. And then I had to pivot and take all of that research. So I'm going to libraries, I'm going to archives, I'm going to elders' houses. I would have to take extensive notes, then I would have to pivot, go over to the computer and then invent chapters. And I did this for over 10 years. And so the idea of sort of pushing myself and being able to finish this, it just seemed impossible in the very beginning. And one of the reasons it seemed impossible is before Sabrina and Karina came out, I was working all kinds of different jobs. It wasn't like I could just be a stay-at-home writer all day long. I had to go, I worked at a zip line front desk place. I was teaching at a front, or I was teaching at Front Range Community College. I was teaching at Fort Lewis College. I sold books, like I'm doing all these other things. So with this book, when it, it really came time to finish it and hunker down and get my job done, there were a few things that really stuck with me. One, I have to get it done. If I don't get it done, I don't have a book that comes out. That's just like the end of it. That's the end of the matter. Two, I have to, because if I don't, then everything my family worked toward for me kind of just sort of disappears with the success of Sabrina and Karina. And like, there's more to it. Like we have to keep contributing. I'm very communal and very family oriented. So it was like, I can't let all these people down. <laughs> like I have to keep going. 
Um, and three, I just, I had a contract. Like I'm not somebody who's flaky. I gotta get this thing in. And I've known a lot of writers, this is very unfortunate, but there's a lot of writers who will sign contracts for books they haven't finished. And sometimes they're not able to get them done. So when it came time to finish this, I got off Twitter for, I think it was, I'd started for Lent. Like I got off Twitter for Lent and then I just stayed off for like five months. And I, I, and then I wrote a lot during that time, but I would write probably for six hours a day with a lunch break. And I've never done like full days like that. And I had a little, um, a little nap, like <laughs> chair in my office. And when I would get super tired from writing, I would go and I would nap and I would dream about my characters. Like Lizette would come to me and she'd have like clothes that she was making and she'd be like, hey, what's up? You gotta get up and keep writing. And that, I honestly have never dreamed about characters before. Like this is the first book where they started visiting me. So yes, it's been a, I miss finishing the book actually. Like if I look back to last spring, that was a wild time in my life. Okay, first of all, so much pressure to continue your family legacy and document the origin story. And you definitely feel that in the book. You like, you know, dedicate it to your grandmother and your aunt, if I'm correct. Yeah, my great-grandma Esther and my auntie Lucy, her sister. Right. And so you definitely feel that in the book, that you're this is part of your family origin story and your family history. And in some ways, you were acting like a historian and a novelist. So clearly different from Sabrina and Corina. I know that that was inspired by some family stories as well. So how was the, pro- the, the writing process different from Sabrina and Corina? I know you explained like having all this, diff- all this time, but in terms of like actually like how you told this story, was there any difference? The biggest difference is that it's long. I mean, this is like over 300 pages and a short story, I mean, that the most are like 25 pages. So you have to really make use of this, all this page space. Like I'm not the kind of writer who's going to tell a boring story. Like that's just not what's going to happen. So I have to figure out what kinds of dramatic scenes can I fit into all of these pages. And luckily, because Luce is, she's a tea leaf reader, she can see back and forth in time. Her brother, Diego, because he's a snake charmer and he's got all these different girlfriends and their auntie Maria Josie, she also has all these girlfriends. Because these characters are so dynamic, I had no shortcomings of scenes. Like I would just sit down and think about them and they were constantly doing things together. Um, And so in that way, it was different because you just have to keep them going. I just have to keep them going off the page to the next page. I studied a lot of TV series when I was writing this book. I remember studying Breaking Bad. I watched it once in its entirety, like the whole series. And then I went back and I watched certain episodes. And I really paid attention to the way that they're structurally made. Um, This helped because... Honestly, like a lot of us are readers and more and more people every day are reading novels, but a lot of us, we love TV shows. And that's kind of the way that our brain has functioned around story. And we love oral storytelling. So I really wanted to sort of merge those two feelings. Um, Another thing that was different about Woman of Light is just 
the sheer energy it took to keep going. So I actually did not write this whole book on the computer. I wrote a lot in notebooks. I would sort of pre-plan and then I would move those chapters over to the computer. And that's just something I don't do with short stories. With short stories, I sit down and I type it out. But this, it's, and also I think because it's set in the 1930s and in the 1800s, there was so much world building that had to go on. I had to think about their dresses, their, their um, perfume. I had to go order Shalimar perfume and I ordered a bottle of Chanel number no. five so I could smell what they were like, you know? And I think because I was building all of this, it just was a lot to hold in your head. I posted some photos on my Instagram, I'll have to find them for you, um, where I'm just standing behind this wall of all these chapters and scenes. I mean, when you write a novel and you look back at what you've done, you cannot believe that the human brain can hold so much information. Uh so much information and so much like archival work and research and family history, I'm sure that you had to partake in to really be able to write this book. And I'm wondering um, if you can share with us a little bit about the research into your family history and if there's anything in particular that was really transformational for you or that was surprising or, or a real find. Um, and maybe how that shows up in the work. Yeah, so this process of writing this book has also been a process of getting to know myself and my family better. And in that way, it's such a gift. Like no matter what happens with the book out there in the world, it's changed me. And while I've always known that we are indigenous people and I've always known about our roots, I found an old oral history video cassette tape that my mother did with my great grandma Esther. And she's asking her all these questions about the languages she spoke when she was growing up. And they were talking about the Spanish they spoke and the French. And she sort of pauses and she looks at my mom and she says, we didn't just speak those languages though. And she mentions that they spoke Tiwa. And this is the first time I ever realized that I, I grew up knowing my great grandma. And the fact that I was this close to my indigenous language, that it was right there, that I could touch it. Um, it was just so illuminating for me how that history has been erased from so many populations of our communities and erased very rapidly. It's not something that's super distant into the past, it's just a few generations. So that, that was a huge gift to learn about. Um, I found my, my godmother, she's my cousin, so she's loose in the, in the story is her mother essentially. My godmother is this very proud queer Chicana in her 80s. And she, when we were growing up, she wasn't open about her sexual identity. It was more like she lived with my auntie Dolores, but it wasn't her wife. It was like her roommate or her friend that like lived in the other, you know, the other part of the room. So I was like, mm, we all knew like that's your wifey. Um, but through the process of writing this book, my godmother has become a very, very open about her sexuality and about stories and the struggles that she went through as a queer butch woman. And it's just like incredible. And she also, she pulled out this 
folder that she had. And it was sort of like the top secret history of our family. And there were photos of my godfather, her brother. He was in drag in the 1970s. He's so beautiful. There was um, one of my ancestors, my uncle Jakey in the 1930s. He was dressed like Carmen Miranda. And he's just so lovely looking in all this drag. And the fact that my family has this super rich queer history was just something, we always knew it through the oral tradition, but to have all these beautiful photographs. Um, but I think they had to hide them too because of the dangers associated. And she talked a lot about the police brutality inflicted upon my ancestors. What a gift. And also sounds like some very intentional self-preservation on your family's um, on your family side to, to try to preserve themselves, right? The self-preservation of all of it, of themselves, of the legacy, um, and also uh, a testament to you being here with us. So what are your hopes for this book, for Women of Light? I mean, the biggest hope is, is that people are entertained. Like I want people to be wrapped up in a big story and swept away and then I want them to learn. I want them to pay attention to these characters, their hearts and their minds, but also to the historical context of what's happening here. Um, my whole life, I felt like Chicanos from Denver, that our families had come from what is now Southern Colorado and Northern New Mexico. I felt like our culture was really invisible and not very many people knew of us. Um, especially a family like mine that's so multi-ethnic, that's so blended. Um, my great-grandfather, Alfonso, he came from the Philippines. He makes a cameo in this novel. Um, there's Greek characters in this novel. It's just, it's filled with sort of a Denver that used to exist, that's no longer here. And I want people to really be aware of that feeling of vibrancy and love. Um, a friend of mine was telling me, he's like, you have to learn about Boyle Heights. Like the history is so fascinating. And he sent me a history book and he, he was saying that there's, there's these old Greek families and there's these old Italian families. And I was like, that sounds just like where I grew up in Denver. And I think in this way, maybe Woman of Light will connect communities that have not been connected before. And so that's another one of my big hopes. I sent it to my translator in Japan, Yumiko Katoke. And she has not convinced her publisher to take it yet, but they're gonna see how it does. <laughs> so fingers crossed it'll be in Japanese. But she was so blown away and she said, this multilingual city, I've never seen anything like this in American books. And that's what I want. I want people's perception of our history to change and to be a little bit closer to the reality of what it was for my ancestors and countless other families. Chills. Amazing. Wow. Thank you so much, Gali, for joining us again. How can folks support you and support your book, your body of work? Please let them know. Well, the number one thing you can do is you can buy a copy of Woman of Light, preferably from a local independent bookstore. And then once you get Woman of Light, if you have not read Sabrina and Karina, I suggest going back and getting that book too. And then my other big ask is please tell other people because that is the number one way books get out there is through word of mouth. And follow me online. I'm on Instagram and Twitter, mostly Instagram at Kali Maha. And Kali is serving face and looks and all kinds of things on Instagram. So give her the follow. It's worth it, I promise. 
<laughs> yes, face, looks, books, all of it. Um, <laughs> looks and books, honey. Looks and books. And we are also reading. I'm add that to my bio. Yes, yes. Please do. Please do. We are also reading Women of Light with uh, our book club, Locas por Libros. So if you want to join us in the discussion, you can join Locas por Libros. So thank you so much, Kali, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It was so lovely to see you both again. Thank you, Locamores, for tuning in. And thank you once again to the brilliant Gali Fajardo Anstein for joining us. If you want to tune in to her past episode on Locatora Radio, please do so. And also tune in to all the previous capitulos. You have so much to catch up on. If you're a new listener, if you're an OG listener, welcome back. Thank you again. Besitos. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card... Right this way. It's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This message comes from Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.